Welcome to the Truth About Your Health podcast, where it's our mission to expose the truth about your health to burnt out men and women so we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. We do this by exposing the truth in all different areas of health and wellness on each podcast that you are simply just not being told. And this ultimately prevents you from having the abundance of energy that you are looking for. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Truth About Your Health, where we teach exhausted and uh, burnt out adults the truth about uh, their health and specifically adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back very, very quickly. And I'm joined again for part two with Morley Robbins, and we are going to be talking about, in this case, we are going to be talking about how to get to the main cause of having no energy in. As you may or may not know, Morley has the root cause protocol uh, that helps us do that. And, and I'm excited for part two because we're going to piggyback from what we talked about on our last call. But just for those that may not know, Morley is the founder of the root cause protocol and the magnesium advocacy group. He's received his BA in bi biology at Denison University in Ohio and holds an MBA from George Washington University. And he's a, uh, I guess, a reformed healthcare administrator. Um, although I wouldn't say reformed, he's now on the other side as we talk about. And he's also trained in wellness coaching himself. He has nutritional counseling backgrounds from functional diagnostic nutrition. He's got his own training protocols for, for doctors. Morley, thank you so much for joining us again today. Absolutely delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to this next discussion. I think it's going to be a very exciting one for the, the folks who are gearing in on this. Yeah. So to piggyback, just to kind of, if our listeners listening to this for the as their first one, we'll leave links wherever this is being listened to and, and being able to get access from to the prior one. Uh, but what we're talking about is what I feel is a game-changing uh, life-changing book that you just wrote called Cure Your Fatigue, How to Balance Three Minerals and One Protein in the Solution that You're Looking For. And, and we outlined the, the first four chapters in our first talk, basically talking about um, how we're misled and misfed, uh, the modern health solution for energy, which is anything but, um, how the body makes energy and then ultimately the blind spots that doctors don't have uh, when it comes to the, the errors in making energy. So maybe just springboarding from that, Morley, in terms of what is the, the oxidation blind spot so that we can go into now that we know what the cause is, how to address specifically that. So what is, what's the, what's kind of catch us up from the oxidation blind spot and how the body makes energy so that we can pivot into what do we do about it? Let's create the right context for this. Again, we live on a planet that is dominated by two very reactive elements. And it's important to understand the the soup in which we find ourselves. And it, it, it was really, I think, hiding in the debate between Pasteur and Béchamp, particle versus field. Again, Pasteur was trying to attack the guest. Béchamp would say, well, why don't we strengthen the host? And let's deal with the field, the bioenergetic field. Well, what is in this field? Well, the, the number one element on planet Earth, 36% of the Earth's composition 
is iron. It's the pro-oxidant element on this planet. Yes, it does deliver oxygen. Yeah, that's a good thing, like a waiter. But if you don't have a, a chef to deal with it, you're gonna have a serious problem. That's the role that copper plays. Copper is the chef in the cuisine. Again, C-U hyphen, I-S-I-N-E. But the thing is, we've got iron and oxygen. Oxygen is the second most reactive element on the planet. We can't live without it. We can't age without it either. And what does that mean? It means that the oxygen, again, after fluorine gas and fluoride, it is the second most reactive element. And <clears throat> therefore, the stress, I mean, I think it was probably five or six years into this journey, now coming up on 11 full years of doing this research, five or six years in, Joel, I realized what they meant by the term stress. It's oxidative stress. Oh my gosh. It's, it's like, it was like this ton of bricks just like fell on me. I went, oh my God. Oh, it's, it's, it's the inability to deal with oxygen. That's what's causing all these problems. And the body is geared to resolving and responding to oxidative stress. And when you get into the weeds of neurotransmitters and hormones, and, and I know we're gonna talk about cortisol as a first line response, it's, it's responding to oxygen. If it's not being metabolized properly, if we're not, again, if the oxygen molecule, O2, if O2 cannot be turned into two molecules of water, two H2O, the body's like, we got a problem. Because it's it, it, the pH that's required for that transaction is neutral pH, 7.0. So that when O2 becomes two H2O, everything's great. We've got neutral pH, and we can release the ADP, three of them, go over to complex five, and et voila, we can turn those three ADP into three magnesium ATP. And then we have energy that the cell can recognize and that the cell can work with. Again, if it's not spelled properly, it doesn't recognize it. it does, it's not ATP, it's magnesium hyphen ATP. Very important. <clears throat> We're down into these little subtle distinctions. So you've got to understand iron's not necessarily our friend. Oxygen is not our friend necessarily. And we've got to be able to spell energy right. And there's only one way to make energy in the body. It's called the mitochondria. So it's important to understand that our physiology has evolved over a very long time period very long and there's been this recognition of the volatility that iron and oxygen play and and being able to regulate that and there's only one mineral on planet earth that regulates both iron and oxygen and that's copper absolutely amazing and it's, and it's like what what's what, what's he talking about and so we're talking about in the world of, of homeopathy, copper is called the general. And iron is called the foot soldier. Well, that's a, that's a really powerful image to, to conjure up, generals and foot soldiers. Uh, just before we started taping this, 
uh, Joel went into, I think, a very important uh, description of the, the battlefield, which I'm sure we'll get to talking about stress and who's, who's the field general. And it was, it was great. I hope we can bring that back in. But the key is we've got this, we've got this general, Copper, regulating the foot soldiers, but we've never been taught that. We never, we never heard it that way. And in fact, in the average human's body, there's about four to 5,000 milligrams of iron. It's a lot, but there's only about 100 milligrams of copper. So it's, a, it's about a 60 to one ratio. It's like, it's like, it's mind-blowingly big. And all we've been taught about is that we're anemic and that we're copper toxic. No one's told us that, well, this copper thing is really important. And, and if that copper goes from 100 milligrams, 100 milligrams will fit on the head of a one-inch stick pin. I'm talking about just a little tiny bit. But let's, let's take that copper down to 95 milligrams or 90. What if we took it down on all the way to 75? So what, what is a fever? So we go from 98.6 to 102. That's a... That's a 4% differential. And we know how bad we feel. Massive discomfort with a 4% rise in body temperature. What do you think happens when there's a 25% loss of bioavailable copper? We can't, so six times the fever? It's like, we can't even imagine. And so then that becomes the basis of the stress is lack of the very mineral that helps us regulate oxidative stress is MIA, it's missing. And, and that's not taught in doctor school. We're, we're, we're led to believe that there is such a thing as disease. And if, and if you know anything about the Merck manual, it's, it's like 32,000 different conditions that are described in that manual, but there's no protagonist. There's not one word about copper in the Merck manual, nada. It's like, wow, that's, that's interesting. It's, I think it's very telling. And what I learned this morning, Joel, after sending you that email that we were chatting about, um, I discovered when, I, I, I should have known this, but I didn't, but there's a very powerful copper chelator called Nia Kupoin, C-U-P-R-O-I-N-E. And it was developed in the early 1930s. Oh, so they've, They've known about this, how important copper is for over a hundred years. And, they, and what's, what's that on the heels of? Oh, in 1931, Otto Warburg gets the Nobel Prize for discovering complex four, which is run by copper, but he called it iron oxidase. So right about the same time that Dr. Warburg's getting his Nobel, we're figuring out how to pull copper out of the body in a very toxic way. <laughs> and and, and the, what the article was about was the fact that the process to relax vascular tissue, you know, like our, our arteries and our vessel, our blood vessels, it's copper dependent. So all the, the nitrothiols, um, nitrothiols, that, oh, oh, by the way, they gave a Nobel Prize in 1998 for, for figuring this, that, that we need nitric oxide. So they give a Nobel Prize to three scientists. 
the whole thing's a scam because it was a copper deficiency all along. And they, they knew that. They actually knew that in the early 90s, then in 95, 96, definitive clinical studies. And again, the body's really smart and the body relies on copper, says, hey, you know, my blood vessels are getting kind of tight. Could you relax it a little bit? And then copper gets diverted to do that. Again, it's like, I, I think there's a point where, where the average person is like, what, if, if copper were, were this important, surely my doctor would know this. And if copper were this simple, surely I would know this. And it's been very artfully suppressed, hidden, kind of downplayed. And, and it's absolutely amazing. I was talking to a, a very noted uh, physician yesterday, MD, orthopod, brilliant. And I said, how many times did you hear the word copper in your medical training? And he was like, it was like I punched him in the face. He said, I don't think I ever heard the word. And there, therein lies the problem. And you probably didn't hear it in your training either. Uh, and I've asked Dr. Liz if she ever heard about copper at, at Palmer. She says, never heard about copper. I've talked to homeopaths. They don't, even though they talk about the general, they don't really get the training. I've talked to uh, osteopaths, same thing. Again, across the board, doesn't matter what the, what the degrees are after the name, this whole focal point around, we've got to do something with this oxygen has been suppressed. And the reason why it's so important is that in 1956, it was Denham Harmon, who was a PhD um, engineer, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a doctor, but, but he became a doctor. He went to Stanford. He was an industrial engineer studying oxidative stress in an industrial setting. And he wondered, I wonder if this affects humans. So he, he decides to go to Stanford, gets his degree, and discovers what's called the free radical, the oxidative stress theory of aging, which put the conventional medical system on its ear because no one had ever raised that before. And so this whole idea of, of, we talk about stress and the way I describe it, and I think you'll appreciate this, Joel, is that all the people that you work with, all your, all your clients, they've got stress in their lives, right? They've all, they're adrenally they're, they're burned out, right? Well, when we have stress in our world, we have oxidative stress in our body. That's the conserved metabolic response is, uh-oh, I got, I got to deal with something. And the, and the best definition of stress I've ever come across is by Mark Hyman, who's a very noted uh, functional MD at a Cleveland Clinic. And this, this is the definition. Stress is the body's inability to metabolize energy for the mind to respond to its environment. What a beautiful amalgamation of all these ideas. And if we can't make energy, that, that is the ultimate stressor, is if we cannot make energy, then we get stressed out. And, and, we, and here's, the, here's the fine point, and then I, I'll turn it back over to you to kind of take us into the next stage. But the fine point is, if you are not turning oxygen into water, and you, the way you do that is you activate oxygen and turn it into 2H2O. If you cannot do that, 
to release the energy molecules. If you cannot do that, the oxygen becomes either superoxide or hydrogen peroxide or the hydroxyl radical. And when that happens, those are three different categories of oxidative stress. And then that might mix with nitrogen and create peroxynitrites or might mix with sulfur. And then we've got, a, you know, we just have a complete chaotic mess on our hands. But the point is oxidative stress means I have energy deficiency. And that's why the book has that title, Cure Your Fatigue, because fatigue implies oxidative stress. And if you have oxidative stress, you do not have optimal energy production. I, I hope that all made sense as I went through it. That was great. It was really great. And in fact, one of my very first questions after getting the segue from last to today's was, hey, Morley, in your book, you mentioned about how we have stress outside of the body and we have a physical and emotional, environmental and a, and a metabolic stress. But really at the end of the day, it all equals oxidative stress. Can you explain that? So you already did. I don't know if we were already <laughs> on the same wavelength or not, but yes, you already explained that. And I think it's important to, to just rehash like a lot of people will say, well, I don't have a stress life. I mentally, my family like is not stressing me financially, but there's these hidden stressors that you mentioned in terms of oxidations. And even in the book, you talk about nutritional deficiencies or other things that are environmentally influencing our body that we may not necessarily have a temperature gauge on consciously, but doesn't, doesn't deny or um, take out the fact that it's, it's actually happening in our body. And what's happening is, is we're creating reactive oxidative species or free radicals that create a lot of damage. Now, to your point as well, I do feel like when you, with everything that you just mentioned, I, I, in my head, I, I have this thing that suggests like conversion of one language to another. So you have like digital to analog, or you have the frequencies of the stressors of of the world, whether they're perceived or real, doesn't matter because it creates the same process in the body or the same, uh, I guess, domino effects in the body. And that was so great about what Hans saw you from the research that I'm doing, which was preposterous at the time. Like, hey, all of these stressors or illnesses or diagnoses that are all in their little special little corners of what they are create the same reactivities in the body, generalized reactivities. And, and what, in that report that I made, the thing where he went wrong was when he said it was an adrenal fatigue or an exhaustion. And then it just kind of created a cascade of let's, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and every single thing we do and, and just fight tooth and nail for the crazies that say they have this adrenal fatigue thing that doesn't even exist. And it's an insufficiency. And it, besides the point, it misses out on the fact that fundamentally stress from the outside that gets converted for, to a different language on the inside is all about reactive oxidative species or free radicals. And like you've said, we've evolved so many generations where that oxidative stress is actually favorable for pathogens that we experience in a, in a, in a bell-shaped curve. But what I think the connecting dots that I get from 
the copper deficiency is iron and iron oxidation and the yin yang theory is that that creates the sympathetic fight or flight, the oxidants, the signal, the immune system, get the army to, to defend the base. And then once that's turned off from available copper, it switches the signaling of the sympathetic from the iron to turn it on. It has the signaling of the copper to turn it off into the parasympathetic activation. So that's kind of a little bit of a take that I take right when you tell me this. So with that being said, we, we let's talk about how stress specifically um, with the lack of copper. Um, and actually, this is probably a really good time to get into how you continue down your journey and coin the term the magnesium burn rate. Because, you know, for me, I didn't understand, like, I, yes, I understand how important magnesium is, but not in the context that if all of that analog information from the environment is triggering a common response in the body, which is to create oxidative stress, get it to a bell curve, deal with the things that are going on so that your body can maintain homeostasis, turn the parasympathetic back on with bioavailable copper and go on your merry way. Obviously that doesn't happen because it's like a, like an accelerator in a car that just gets stuck. You can't take it off, you know, stuck to the floor that creates a magnesium burn rate. What is that? What's going on there? And, and, and that would maybe give a good sort of platform to, to begin into those three things we want to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, again, we go back to the, the energy molecule. It's spelled magnesium hyphen ATP. And what folks don't realize is that um, the magnesium ion sits between the second and third phosphate group. And when we need energy, and, and, and it, the reason why it's there is it stabilizes that, that molecule. Magnesium is it's not necessarily providing energy, but it's a stabilizer. It's very, very important. And when we need energy, we got to cleave off one of those phosphates. Well, as soon as you cleave off that third phosphate, <clears throat> magnesium leaves. It goes right into our urine. It's just it's a it's a biological response to stress, because back to um, Hyman. We got to make energy to respond to stress. When we perceive that there's something wrong, we are wired as a species to create energy to deal with it. We got, we got to resolve it somehow. And, and if we can't make energy, then we've got a problem. That's when we get in, into this negative downward spiral. And so the, as the stress, as the oxidative stress builds, as, as the stress in our world builds, oxidative stress in our body builds, the magnesium loss accelerates. And it's, oh my gosh, there are, there are scores and scores of scientists who've studied this phenomenon. Probably the most noted is uh, Mildred Seeley. She was a, a famous uh, physician and she was a drug researcher. And when she realized that the drugs that she was studying was causing magnesium loss, she left Big Pharma to, to teach about the importance of magnesium. So again, it's just, it's, and, and the, the mistake that I made, a mistake that a lot of people make is that um, when you lose magnesium, you will get symptoms. 
you will get aches and pains. You will, you, you're going to develop hypertension or whatever, whatever, however it manifests. And so there's this um, very simplistic response. Well, let's just put some more magnesium in the body and everything we find. And, and I fell for that for years. I was like, just take more magnesium, damn it. And it, it wasn't until I was reading a, a paper by an Italian re researcher who talked about the greatest stress to humanity is iron stress. And that's when it all clicked. And so the, the iron, iron is rising. Why? Because we're not, we're not burning oxygen properly. We're not activating it. We're not making energy. And what happens, and this is some very important research. The, the article I sent over this morning was by Dr. Gitlin. Well, five years before that, he wrote a very important chapter with one of his colleagues, Kulala. And what they, did, what they did was they took mitochondria from copper deficient animals, rodents, to see what would happen. What, how, did they, how did they respond to stress? They put them under stress. They, so what does that mean? They, they created a state of hypoxia that's very stressful when you don't have oxygen. It's the ultimate stressor. And so what happened was, this is really, really important. This is, this is probably one of the most important things I've found in years and years, is what they discovered, Kalata and, and Gitlin, was iron accumulated in the mitochondria. Oh, oh, well, that's, that's not good. Because what's happening is that Oxygen's not burning right, so it's becoming an oxidant. It's becoming a reactive species, right? It's becoming a free radical. It's mixing with the iron that's building in the mitochondria. And guess what's being tripped? All these kinase enzymes that are geared to stress, heat stress, they all got a little magnesium attached to them. And boom, 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 boom. We got all this magnesium leaving the body, all because we're not burning oxygen, we're not activating it properly to create energy. And everything is geared, all of our physiology, all of our metabolism is geared to making energy. And if we're not making energy, things don't work right. And, and it isn't just making energy. There's this symbiosis between making energy, making proteins, recycling calcium, recycling iron, and, and so on down the line. There, there are about 15 to 20 different functions that the mitochondria are responsible for. And picture a really sophisticated watch with all the gears that are playing with each other. That's what's going on in the mitochondria. If this gear is working, then this gear is moving, then this gear is going the right way, and proteins are getting folded right. And it's like, if, that, if, if we're not making energy, the gears don't work right, do they? And suddenly, everything comes to a standstill inside the mitochondria and the, and the iron starts to rise and it's creating havoc inside the tissue. And, and who are the first responders to stress? Our adrenals and our thyroid. But that doesn't mean that they run the body. They're, they're first responders. They're like the policeman and the uh, fireman. It's like, wow, if they get called up, then we better pay attention to what's going on. And that's the, the, the mistake that's been made in, in uh, the healing arts is to create this illusion that policemen and firemen run society. 
and they don't. They respond to problems, but they do not run society. So. Yeah, really great information. One of the ahas that I had as well in terms of always thinking about what happens at the 30,000 view foot level happens at the cellular level first, and then it distills its way down to our systems working together. So it behooves us to get to the quote unquote root cause versus uh, reductionistically say, take this for that or this, that for this. To your point, like quite easily in terms of your energy production isn't happening at the level that it needs to, at the demand that it needs to. And at, as a result, your body makes concessions and, and or another way of saying it's not uh, making energy as effectively as it, it can is, is it's not breathing as effectively as it can. It's not activating hydrogen and oxygen, not only to produce ATP and energy, but to produce water. And so it kind of hit on me, okay, well, you have these mineral corticoids that sense, you know, analog to digital, the, the things that are happening at a cellular level, wait, we're not even making water anymore. Now we got to signal some aldosterone to retain sodium. And so that we can, so these all, and then the other thing that was a game changer for me for thyroid as well was, I think I might've mentioned this on the last time, but when Dr. Bob Marshall said, hey, thyroid, all it is, if you want to think about thyroid hormone is, is it brings oxygen to the cell. Morally, that was a game changer for me because I had never really thought about it that way. And I thought, okay, if it brings oxygen to the cell, and at the cellular level, we're not making water and ATP, and we've already signaled through the HPA axis, this release of aldosterone to hold on to sodium so we retain our water. At the same time, it would make sense for us if we're not breathing accurately, let's put the mechanisms in place to lower the oxygen delivery to the cell as a result as well. And then what really gets so frustrating is reductionistically, nope, your, your thyroid is totally acting incorrectly, even though it's doing what it needs to do. We're just going to blast, you know, it with more information and forget about what, why and, and do that. And then to your point in the book, and maybe we can segue into how important cholesterol is, um, but the, the logic of bringing down cholesterol or the logic of, oh, ceruloplasm's bad when it's high, we got to lower that as well. So, um, but the first question before we get to that is in the book, which I think is really important too, because this is a reductionistic approach that even some in they think the no worlds are, hey, I know this is a mitochondrial problem. So let's just use like mitochondrial nutrients and pump that up much of the same reductionistic approach of supporting the HPA axis at that 30,000 view foot or supporting thyroid at that 30,000 view foot. Um, you mentioned in the book, mitochondria kind of really, I don't remember the exact words that you use, but you know, it's basically not having the, the keys to the car or the gas in the car. So maybe explain that analogy first and what that means. Yeah, no, great point. This is terrifying. Um, thyroid hormone doesn't deliver oxygen. It's an oxygen sensor. Oxygen is the sensor. Right. right, exactly. Right. Is, oxygen exactly. Being, is oxygen being burned right? And if it's right. not, if it's not, if it's not smelling right, then I'm going to send a signal back to the liver. We need more bioavailable copper. That, right. that's, so endocrinology, right. 
and I call them endocriminologists, they have it backwards. Everything's backwards. And so everything revolves around oxygen in our body. And so the mitochondria, again, I'm, I'm having this debate with myself and maybe I can have it with you because you're, you're enjoying the, uh, uh, the world of, of uh, metabolic insanity. Um, is copper the brains of the outfit or the mitochondria the brains of the outfit? Because it's, it's not the nucleus. The nucleus is just a Xerox machine. It's just, it's just doing what it's been programmed to do and it's responding to inputs, but it's not running the show. It's the idea that the nucleus is like, come on, this is, this is an insult to our, our intellect and our integrity. But <clears throat> the mitochondria really is the, that's the pulse of the organism, 40 quadrillion of them. Well, how do they communicate with each other? That was a, is a provocative idea. There's a, there's a metabolic pathway, AMPK. I don't talk about it in the book, but that might be a discussion downstream for us. It's absolutely fascinating to really get into the, the Cain and Abel of the body, AMPK and mTOR mind-blowing stuff about that. So the, the, the mitochondria are sentient parts of our, our metabolism. They, they are aware of things being present, not being present. And if, and if oxygen and iron start to build up, they start to act out. You know, they're, they're the ones that are signaling apoptosis. Hey, we can't do it. Let's bring this thing down. Let's bring this cell down. And, and it's not just a mitochondria. It's like, it might be 500 or a thousand mitochondria have got to somehow align their interests and say, we can't process the, the inputs here. We don't have the magnesium or the copper or the retinol. Retinol, retinol, oh my gosh. It's, it's one of the most important components. It's an electron carrier. Retinol, vitamin A that no one talks about. It's, a ret it's an electron carrier. Well, that's a game changer. That, that puts things on a completely different, or, or the fact that, that one of the derivatives of retinol, um, the, the nuclear receptors, RAR, ROR, RXR. Well, if RXR doesn't hook up with VDR and active vitamin D, you don't have any vitamin D function. Oh, so then what you're telling me is that vitamin A is more important than vitamin D. That's exactly what we're talking about. And so people don't appreciate the sophistication of these metabolites inside the mitochondria to allow for proper communication. And, you know, there's, there's something uh, we in the mitochondria, you have what's called the electron transport chain has four different complexes. They're called respiratory complexes. They are responding to oxygen and they're responding to electrons moving this way and hydrogens being pumped into an intermembrane space. And then all of that's supposed to come together in complex four to make water. So then the ADP can go over to complex five where we can actually make ATP, magnesium ATP. When ETC and complex five are working together, it's called oxidative phosphorylation. So we go from ETC to oxidative phosphorylation when the mitochondria says, I'm at peace, I'm in harmony, everything's cool. If that doesn't happen though, you have something called the uncoupling protein inside the mitochondria and the hydrogens that were supposed to go through complex five are going through UCP. What is UCP? It's the mechanism for inflammation. 
when the body senses that it can't work properly, it's going to channel the hydrogens through there to create heat. It's it's all it's in the literature. UCP is it's a it's a mechanism for generating heat, not energy. There's a difference between heat and energy. Again, it's like steam and channeling that steam to to move a locomotive or move a uh, a paddle on a boat. Well, you're just creating steam. <laughs> that's that's not going to do anything for us. And that's the the sophistication of the mitochondria is both a, a single mitochondria trying to figure out what's going on, but then you begin to extrapolate into cellular activity, but then get to a tissue level activity, much less a you know an organ level. It's like, wow, there's a lot of communication that needs to take place. And this is a, an important point for people to understand. Bef in the earlier life forms, and we evolved, I mean, the, the yeast, the, the model for understanding human mitochondria is the yeast mitochondria. So basically our, our mitochondria has evolved from yeast, which means that some part of our anatomy evolved from yeast, right? So it's like, it's kind of a mind blowing thought. But, but the thing is, the, the mitochondria are, are critical parts of the signaling and what the earlier life forms didn't have a nervous system. Copper was the messenger to communicate across that organism. Copper is the original nervous system. And you as a chiropractor, and the reason why I admire chiropractors so much is that you, by the very mechanism of touching people, you are stimulating that nervous system in very powerful ways, you're down-regulating the, the um, SNS, the, the, you know, the, the, the um, fight or flight response, and you're up-regulating rest and recovery, the parasympathetic. So you're down-regulating sympathetic, up-regulating parasympathetic, which is incredibly important. You know that intuitively because of all the work you've done, but at a metabolic level, people don't understand the power of your touch and what it's doing to improve cellular signaling and communication. And again, it's, I, I don't think that's a, that's a, it's not an understood um, byproduct of chiropractic, which I think is, is very unfortunate. Not enough people know about that. Yeah, actually, just as an aside, I know like um, one of the quotes I was thinking about is aging from David St. Clair, and it's basically a breakdown of, of communication. Right. And that's what aging is. And then you look at also, too, that one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was and we'll probably get it into the next time, too, is it AMPK and the balance between that and mTOR and how Nerf 2 and keep one and our antioxidant response elements or when we're creating free radicals and our mitochondria aren't breathing correctly acts as a sensor again to communicate to turn on the recyclability and clearing out or build and because build is important but you know in a, in a time and place um, but what I was going to say is one of the enzymes that inhibit or slow down that NADPH oxidase enzyme is oxytocin and oxytocin is the enzyme or the hug drug right so you're touching you're feeling um, that is slowing down that NADPH that would create 
a lot of those free radicals if the cells aren't breathing optimally. Again, there's a balance between, hey, we need to create free radicals when there's a proper time and place, but if it's stuck in the accelerator on position all the time, and that's causing the magnesium depletion, it's creating the oxidation, the just running into the ground, that oxytocin will inhibit that process. So that's an interesting connection there in terms of that as well. So, all right, so let's kind of, let's go into now. Okay, so we'll kind of summarize, like you said, is we we don't respire, we don't breathe effectively at the cellular level. And we have mechanisms and sensors to communicate at the organ and system level to deal with this. Overcome that's homeostasis and allostasis and hormesis. And there's a certain amount of theory that you want to put your body in perturbated under stress so that you are metabolically flexible and you are adaptable. Uh, however, with that being said, if you don't have the optimal copper to, to, to make this process happen, as well as all the other enzymes, and you're not exporting iron out of tissues and delivering it to the cells and the organs and the systems, you're creating oxidation, you're burning through your magnesium. Vitamin A is a very important part about all of that. So on, on my level, per se, I'm working with people that are, are exhausted and burnt out. And they identify it as, hey, I got an adrenal fatigue problem. And then they say, well, better yet, an HPA axis problem. And I say, even better yet, a cellular energy production problem. Uh, but it's still really great, Morley, to do a, a Dutch test and look at some of the enzymes to get, a, um, I guess, a, a litmus test of what's going on in the body. How far along are we along that continuum so that we can customize a recovery strategy. And to your point, when I'm playing at five and six standard deviations down the road, it's all about getting cellular energy happening effectively again. It, it, it stops and ends there. I mean, there's nothing you can really say about if you're not breathing effectively and hypoxia is the biggest stressor we could have, you got to restore that. So, so I guess the first mechanism that I think is quite fascinating is when that magnesium isn't available, one of the things that our body does is it liberates fatty acids. So let's kind of maybe go down how that is one of the stress consequences as well. So people could be aware of what's going on there. Very, very important point. Um, you know, people need to ask, so why would the body do that? Why, why would the body be releasing fatty acids. Gosh, gosh, we've been trained to say, well, that's gonna create heart disease, isn't it? It's like, no. <laughs> when, you, when you understand, <clears throat> let's, let's go through energy production. Before there was oxygen, we, organisms would ferment sugars. And when you ferment a sugar, you're gonna yield two ATP. Wow, okay, big deal. The introduction of, of oxygen into the equation, when we were able to um, activate that oxygen and, and harness that oxygen, really it's about harnessing the oxygen. We went from two ATP up to, if we're burning, if we're burning sugar, not fermenting it, but burning it, we've got 34 ATP but if we're burning fat, 
140 ATP. The mitochondria are designed to burn fat. It's so, it's so obvious. And, and, and what's my proof of that? In 11 years, thousands of articles, how many have I found that actually talked about burning fat and how much, what the yield is? One article. 7,000 articles, one, one article talked about the importance of burning fat. That's just, that's screaming proof. And people are like, oh, that, that doesn't sound like proof to me. That's only one article. No, you, you got to flip everything around. If they're not talking about it, that means it's really important. And so, no, it's just, it's so, it's so obvious. And so the, when fatty acids get released, it's, it's a very, man, we're getting into the weeds here, buddy. I hope people are ready for this. But when you get into fatty acids, it's going to, it's going to mobilize a response. And one of the enzymes that's released is called phosphodiesterase 2. Huh? No one's ever talked about that. Well, it's really important that if, if you can't stop phosphodiesterase 2, you can't burn fatty acids. Oh, that's a problem. PDE2, phosphodiesterase 2, is, it's the break for fatty acid metabolism. Now put on your thinking cap, Joel. Who do you think stops phosphodiesterase 2 in its tracks? And it's copper. Copper stops that mechanism <clears throat> so that the beta oxidation enzymes can burn fat properly so that we can restore energy at a, we're going at 140 miles per gallon instead of 32 miles per gallon. Big difference, way more, way significantly different than, than cancer metabolism, which is two miles per gallon. Cancer metabolism is fermenting sugars, folks. That's, that's what it's all about. And we need lots of cells in order to make up for the, the, diff, the delta. If we're making two, but we really need 140, well, that means we need 70 times more cells to make up for it. And that's what proliferation is all about. And what's the break for proliferation? Retinol, ding, ding, ding. And what people don't know is that when you're taking vitamin D, like there's no tomorrow, drinking bucketfuls because you're afraid of some mythical psyops, you're shutting down vitamin A metabolism. Therefore, you're, you're opening up the tissue to cancer metabolism. People don't know that. But, but the point is, fatty acid metabolism is bar none one of the most misunderstood mechanisms on the planet, especially in, in human physiology, because we've all been trained like circus bears to believe that fat is something to be afraid of. Again, we're back to, we're back to flipping things around. Everything black is white, white is black. And people don't realize that fat is our friend that fat is the biggest source of energy to allow us to respond to the hymen quotation. Oh, I've got stress. I got to respond to it. Let me give my, my mind some energy so it can perceive what's going on and come up with a solution. But if I can't come up with energy because my adrenals and thyroid are being totally attacked by the food system, then my mind shuts down 
and I get overwhelmed. And then I go into what? Fight or flight. And what's fight or flight about? Running from the bear. And what's it going to trigger? Oh, yeah. It's going to trigger adrenaline and cortisol big time. And then suddenly we've got oxidative stress on steroids. Why? Because these very powerful hormones are designed to move minerals very fast. Again, they don't run the body. They respond to oxidative stress. And people need to understand that there is this conserved response that if oxygen is not being burned right, because that PDE2 messed up fatty acid metabolism because it's missing copper because it's not in the diet or because I'm, I'm losing it because of ascorbic acid or high zinc intake or 15 other things that we could talk about. Oh my gosh, I, I didn't know all that. And that's the beauty of these conversations is people need to appreciate that there's an elegance and an enormity to this, but there's a simplicity to it. And that all of these cells that we're worrying about are responding. It's so important that you, you grasp that, that under stress, fatty acids get released. Oh, wow, that's really important. But the average person would say, that doesn't sound good. When in fact, that's the beauty and the wisdom of our physiology saying, I know how to make energy in a big way, but I need a catalyst. And the beta oxidation enzymes run on copper. And you cannot absorb copper in your diet if you don't have fat in your diet. You think Ansel Keys didn't know that back in the 50s? And so if you don't have copper in your tissue, you can't metabolize fat. It gets released under stress. Bingo bongo. That's it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it just, it, it points to the simplicity of if your body at the foundational level, especially at the survival level, does these things to survive, then those would be the inherent functions or systems of the body that we want to preserve and and learn from and not reductionistically think it's broken and we could pharmaceutically repair that and and so what i think about even just three examples of that is what you just mentioned is under stress we should be able to get into beta oxidation to yield more energy to overcome the stress because ultimately all stress is energy dependent because of oxidation. So that's number one, which in this case, again, is copper dependent. The other one, which maybe we won't talk about too much today, but is when the body's under stress and there's all these oxidation uh, radicals and the cells aren't breathing effectively, magnesium's being depleted, iron's over uh, produced or, or consumed and stuck and not moving, copper's depleted, all of the above then our body creates more cholesterol to use as a sinkhole for those oxygen radicals. And then, oh, nope, we got to get rid of the cholesterol because it's bad. And then, of course, um, there is the um, there was another one in there that I was going to use that I had um, forgotten about, but that's okay. So it, it's just amazing, though, as far as one of the things that I like to teach, too, is that concept of metabolic flexibility and being able to have the ability to burn different fuels. And the, the irony here is one of the main things that trigger the, the PDE2 or the enzyme that stops the beta oxidation from happening right away 
is processed foods and refined sugars and insulin going off the rails, which already kind of predetermines that you're not going to be able to get into beta oxidation because you've really messed that up. It's kind of like on the one hand, you've created the need to get into beta oxidation for the same reason that you can't get into beta oxidation, right? Your body's doubly fighting to get to get in there. Um, but that's in that book. I'm not sure if we talked about it off the air in terms of the metabolical and how Robert Lustig talks about those three enzymes. Actually, he puts those three enzymes together. He says the PDE2, um, then he talks about AMPK, um, and then he talks about mTOR. And, and really, those should be coordinated in such a way to preserve survival, right? Um, and in, in this case, know when to grow and repair and build. And then in other ways, know when to turn off and recycle and clear out. And based on not having fundamental bioavailable copper um, and all the reasons why it's being depleted, will create that disharmony. And that disharmony ultimately, you know, as another way of saying dissonance or having an incongruency between the messages that are being sent and the responses that are being um, yielded as a result of those messages being synced, creating even more internal strife and more energy. And that's the tough part is how do you break that mechanism? How do you put the mechanics, the wrenches in the mechanics? So it is getting in the weeds. So let's bring it back out of the weeds and talk a little bit about, we have a root cause protocol in your book. And like I alluded to last time, yes, it's, it's great to have an income. And yes, we want to make sure the cells are breathing effectively, but in your stops, which I think are simply brilliant, are the things that we need to stop doing that maybe with good intentions we're doing it, but sometimes no good intention goes unpunished and we're actually making energy production, cellular respiration, free radical production, all worse. So what, what, I guess the genesis and what actually are those stops, Morley? So if I'm listening to this and it's a bit above my head, but I kind of get the concepts of, hey, this is great information, uh, I realize that I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I don't have enough magnesium. I don't have enough bioavailable copper. My cells aren't respiring properly. What's this 12 stops or I don't know if it's 12 now or 15, but what are they and what, what's going on there? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, get into that. I mean, real quick, parenthetically, respond to what you were referring to as the three key outcomes by Lustig, the PDE2, the AMPK, and mTOR. I don't know that he would talk about this. I have, I've got the book, but I've not read it. But PDE2 is absolutely stopped in its tracks by copper, by bioavailable copper. Got to have that. Very, very important. AMPK is activated by copper. They don't talk about that much. There's only one study, again, one study that goes into, it was a rabbit study. And the, and the conclusion was, Man, AMPK is really running on the uh, energy of copper. Important to know that. And then third, mTOR stopped in its tracks by copper. And so again, you're, you're picking up on the importance of energy production. That's really what this is all about. We gotta be able to make energy consistently, efficiently, 
endlessly. That's what life is all about. So the, the reason for the stops, again, people have always, let me, let me give, uh, what, what's that expression? Uh, credit where it's due. Uh, it was actually a conversation with my oldest son, Matt. Uh, he's, a, he's an electrical engineer, smart cookie. And he was beginning to, to pick up what I was beginning to focus on. He said, well, dad, you know what I really think you need is a do this, don't do that. I was like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Well, that phrase, do this, don't do that, became stops and starts. And what really was the focal point of it, the, the origin, the, the, the true origin of the root cause protocol, again, truth in lending, was an article by Ray P. Brilliant lipidologist, guy's a genius. And, and in his article on iron toxicity, I don't think that's the right title, but it was about the downside of iron, too much iron. He talks about, towards the end of the article, he says, to my knowledge, no one has ever developed a diet to increase the production of ceruloplasm. And Joel, when I read that, it was like I put my finger on a, on a uh, light bulb socket. It's like, whoa, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm very grateful to him for that phrase, you know, no one's ever developed a diet. And it started out as how do we increase bioavailable copper as defined by ceruloplasmin? Because that's the, the blue protein. It's the master antioxidant in our body that nobody knows about. No, no doctor that you've ever gone to is wondering, gee, I wonder what their ceruloplasm status is, as especially as they're examining a blood test or a Dutch test or urinalysis or whatever. They're not thinking about, gee, I wonder what's happening to the oxidative stress in their body because there's not enough ceruloplasm. But, but the point is, it started out with two stops and two starts. How do we, what, what's the most important thing that we can do to stop the, the erosion of cerulean. The first one was iron, I bet. Then stopping the iron, number one stop, right? Number mm. one was iron and ascorbic acid. Okay. And then the starts, you know, <laughs> we, need, we need magnesium and we need retinol. It's like, that's it. We, you know, if people just did that, oh my gosh, just to make those two changes. Um, but, but as I got into it, the stops, uh, I, I began to look at the world through the prism of energy. What is killing energy production in our mitochondria? What's, what's changing the ability to activate oxygen and turn it into water so we can release energy? And, and it's, that's a completely different lens to use than most practitioners who are into this, if this, then that. They've been, they're just very prescriptive in there. Well, if you had that symptom, then you must do this. It's like, well, let's pull it back. Let's open up the curtain and say, what's really happening here? Why, why is the body responding this way? What, what's, the what's the metabolic mechanism that's creating these symptoms? The pain, the inflammation, the, the whatever, the, the, the ache in the joint or whatever it happens to be. And understand, well, where did it come from? It, 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 there is no disease. People need to understand that there really is no medical disease. It's just a story. But what does exist is stress-induced mineral loss, which then leads to 
metabolic dysfunction. And what I appreciate, Joel, is that you you really do understand it. So you 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 now see it from that that frame of reference. But what's happened is people have become trained and certified and then recertified that they keep going back to the internet as their source of information, which is a scary place to be. And and I recognize I'm on the internet and this conversation is on the internet. So you you have to have a certain sense of judgment about it. But the thing is, iron is not your friend. Supplemental iron is poison. And if you don't believe that, read the book by Jim Moon, Iron, the Most Toxic Element. It's He was an iron toxicologist. And he has information in that book that'll make your toes curl. And this idea that there's iron deficiency anemia, it's one of the biggest lies on the planet. Although by, by in terms of, of importance, the World Health Organization says, iron deficiency is the number one nutrient deficiency on planet earth. Wow. What's the, what's the number one enzyme deficiency? G6PD. Oh, wow. And then you find out that G6PD is magnesium dependent. Well, that, that begins to change things around a little bit because what does iron deficiency really mean? It means iron stuck in the tissue causing magnesium loss and it's not showing up in the blood. So it looks like it's low and that, that iron stuck causing magnesium loss is causing G6PD to misfire. Wow, we're, we're, we're at the very essence of the problem. And so we've got to deal with the iron. And then the whole mindset on planet Earth is, I need more iron. I'm, I'm anemic. And, and I've, got to, I've got to get it stored. You, you don't store iron. You, you use it. You recycle it. You're moving it constantly. You're circulating iron. It's, constant, it's got to be, it's like a, it's like a, a juggling act. Do, do we want the juggler to have the, all the pins up in the air? Or do we want to see them all in his arms? Let's, there's, anyone could do that. Anyone can hold all the pins. But, but, but let's, let's talk about keeping the iron in constant movement throughout the body, recycling inside the mitochondria. And one of the, um, the, the, the key findings that we talked about a little bit ago, Kulata and Gitlin. Oh, well, if we're not making energy, we can't recycle iron. And it starts to, starts to build up and, and, we, and the mitochondria start to bloat with iron. I think that might've been the start of what Cellier was finding, that all this tissue was, was expanding. What, what's, the, what's the stress response? The, the alarm state, right? And then we have resistance, right? And then we have collapse. Well, the body just can't, can't hold on anymore. So, the, but the whole thing about, all of the all the tissue swells. If you saw that, what was it, thirty thousand animal experiments? All these organs would 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 grow in size. Again, it we're back to mitochondria breaking down. Mitochondria is swelling. Fluid is building up because it can't be properly recycled. And it's like we're back to simple concepts here. So then we've got you know ascorbic acid. Well, we take ascorbic acid because we've been told that it's going to increase our iron. It's like well, maybe it's, it's going to drive it into the tissue, which is not really where you want it. And what's it going to do in, in, in addition to that? It blows up ceruloplasmin. It, it, it's in the literature. There's a dozen or more articles about it. So the ceruloplasm blows up, copper comes leaking out, and then the spotlights all say, well, copper is the cause of the problem. Oh, copper causes cancer. It's like, oh my God. It's like there, there's whole 
phalanxes of physicians who believe that. And so ascorbic acid is metabolic poison to the ceruloplasm protein. So then we're, if, if we don't have copper inside its protein regulating iron, well, then iron will begin to get stored in bigger and bigger levels. Well, then we've got um, calcium. We're, people have been trained to take more calcium. Oh, I, I must have more calcium. And because I, I, I have osteopenia, I have osteoporosis, I have this, I have that. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Why does the calcium keep coming out of the bone matrix? Why don't we start there? Can we talk about the fact that the, that the acid phosphatase enzyme that breaks down bone matrix is activated by iron? That might be a good thing to talk about. And that its opposite is alkaline phosphatase, which builds up bone matrix, is activated by magnesium. Oh, wow. That's, I never heard that. And so then suddenly we find out that 46% of the body's copper is found in the bone marrow. Oh wow, that's that's a that sounds like a it's really important. Well, it is because copper is really important for ascorbic oxidase. It's not it's not just a plant enzyme; it's a human enzyme that's really important for bone matrix. It's really important for lysyl oxidase to knit things together, collagen and elastin. Oh yeah, we got to make energy. The process of making bone requires energy. So maybe that cytochrome C oxidase would be a good thing too. And those are just three that we can, can quickly enumerate. And so what does calcium do? Calcium, taking it as a supplement, what, what Kidai was able to document in 2013 at Vanderbilt University was that when you have twice as much calcium in your diet as you have magnesium, that's the ratio of every supplement you've ever taken, two to one, it stops magnesium absorption. And, and what Guy Abraham, world-renowned uh, uh, OBGYN, taught at UCLA Medical Center, what he found is that when you have twice as much magnesium as calcium, you ensure calcium absorption and utilization. And, and Key Dye was able to verify that as well. And so again, people don't know about those studies. They just know that, oh, my doctor told me I need calcium. Well, my doctor told me I need vitamin D. And what is vitamin D? It's calcium on steroids. People don't understand what, what that phrase means, calcium on steroids. It means that, that every hormone, and that's what vitamin D is, it's actually hormone D. Every hormone has a specific site of action and a specific job. Specific site is intestine. What's its job? To absorb calcium at the expense of magnesium. Oh, and so what, what people need to appreciate is that when their calcium in their blood panel looks low or high, low or high, it's a clinical sign of magnesium deficiency. Calcium is regulated by magnesium. Iron is regulated by copper. Vitamin D is regulated by retinol. People don't know that. Those, those fundamental metabolic truths have been very artfully suppressed. And if, you're, if people are trusting what their doctor says, what their neighbor says, what their best friend says, 
they got to rethink it because we, we live in a very uh, unstable time now. It's, it's interesting. We, we would call, it would be appropriate to call this time Byzantine. We've been trained to think that Byzantine was a really chaotic empire when in fact it was a beautiful empire where there was order, law and order. It's the it's exact opposite of what we've been trained to believe. The, the Romans, those are the people we should be questioning. You know, the, the bread and circus, you know, give them bread and circus and they'll be fine. Well, we, we haven't evolved from that. We're, we're, we're back at bread, bread and circus. We're being entertained on, on TV and they're, they're feeding us and we, we don't see it. It's so, it's so subtle. So the, the stops are, are going after all of these sacred cows of nutrition. One, another one is daily multivolume. People take a daily multivitamin because they think it's an insurance policy. I've got all my bases covered. They don't realize it's a death certificate. That all the ratios are wrong. It's all synthetic. The B vitamins come from coal tar derivatives. But people may have heard that phrase, coal tar derivatives. What, what, what does it mean? Well, when you begin to pull the curtain back on it, you find out there's 10,000 different components of coal tar derivatives. And here's the mind blowing part. They only have names for 5,000. It's like, well, how do you know that there's another 5,000, but you don't have names for it? It's like, and that's where all the B vitamins come from. Oh, and, and what's, what's coal tar derivatives? It's a byproduct of the petroleum industry. And well, whose idea was that? Rockefeller, that's where it came from. This idea, well, we've got an industrial waste product. Let's turn it into medicine. And let's make B vitamins out of it. And it's like these synthetic B vitamins that people take are affecting their iron metabolism and messing with their copper metabolism. But people don't know that. It's, 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 it's again, it's all, all lost. And so there are just some real important um, components of the nutritional paradigm. Another one being zinc. Oh, I've, I need my zinc. I've, I've got a cold, right? I gotta, I gotta stop the, I gotta stop that cold, and I gotta stimulate my immune system. Oh my gosh, the, the the confusion around that is just frightening. And what does? And I'm a big meat eater. I don't want people to think that I'm I'm some kind of pristine little uh, brat. I love my meat, and that's a great source of zinc. But that's a different kind of zinc from my standpoint than what you get in a bottle. And so the zinc in a bottle is going to trigger a very important protein in our, in our intestinal tract. There are these, uh, we've, we've got, let's pretend this hand is, a, is an enterocyte. And these are the villi, right? Well, the, in between the villi are, are mucal cells, mucus. Mucal cells make mucus. And the mucal cells, they're smart. And when they get exposed to, and, and the food is coming in up here and it's going to go get processed through the enterocyte. And then this is, the bloodstream is down here, but, but when, when the supplement comes in with zinc, mucal cell says, oh my gosh, I better make some metallothionine. And it triggers the, the production of metallothionine. And people don't realize that by doing that, they're binding up copper a thousand times stronger than they're binding up zinc. So effectively what you've done is you've taken copper offline and has mitochondria that must have copper 
if they can't make energy, then guess what happens to, to the enterocytes? They start to pull apart because it's a magnetic attraction based on energy production. They stay together. There's, there's, there's integrity to energy. And when, and when energy production is at its peak, the, the cells stay together and then the proteins can't slip through the cracks. That's what, that's what is driving all this gut dysbiosis is a rampant misunderstanding about what does it take to make energy and what does it take to uh, support the mucal cells? And, and what, does, what do mucal cells really thrive on? Copper. They love copper. It's just, there's like any kind of mucus in the body has a relationship with copper because it's, it's the first barrier between the outside world and our intimate world. And, and it's got to be processed. So the, there's so many different facets. But what happened last year was someone concocted this uh, COVID cocktail, ascorbic acid, vitamin D, and zinc. And people didn't realize what that was doing to their copper status, the bioavailability of their copper status. And it was sending it into the sub-basement. And, and then you add the fear factor on top of that. And maybe we can get that into a, a, a subsequent conversation. People need to know about the emotion of fear and how fear creates hypoxia and then hypoxia is gonna shut down energy production. So you have this double whammy of a cocktail and an emotion that are perfectly designed to kill energy production. And why is that important? Because the immune system runs on energy. The immune system is an intelligent, sentient being that's gotta be monitoring, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's happening? Well, I know what it is, I gotta to respond to that. And that takes intelligence, but intelligence takes energy. And if you don't have energy, your IQ just collapses. So there are, there are other stops, but I think people are beginning to get a sense of, wow, maybe there is more to the story. Maybe the things that I didn't know about, that it isn't just this rote memorization of must take you know, uh, 10,000 milligrams of ascorbic acid, must take 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, must take 50 milligrams of zinc, that that, that isn't really in your best interest and there are not enough people talking about that. I, I appreciate the chance to have this uh, exchange. And it's just that, that people don't realize the level of programming. And, and uh, Dr. Liz and I just went to see uh, the Matrix Part 4 and mind-blowing. People need to watch that movie. You need to understand <laughs> the, the level of programming that's out there. We've all got that, that cord in the back of our neck and we don't realize it as we're watching TV or as we're watching this video or that video on YouTube. All they're doing is just programming our thought process and our response. And we, we, we like, oh yeah, I know that. They, they can't fool me. Well, if you took the cocktail and you're, and you're in a state of fear that you take the psyop seriously, then you, you've been snookered. And people don't know that. So, you know, we could, we could go on and on, but those are, those are important aspects of the stops, but don't do this, that really allow the body to make more energy to respond to the stress of the environment. Both the, the whatever the external threat is, argument with your spouse, argument with your boss, car accident, fell down a flight of stairs, I've got a lousy diet, and so on and so forth, and the internal stress, uh-oh, 
I can't make energy. And as soon as the body and then the system and then the organ and then the tissue and then the cell, when they can't, when they realize we can't make energy, there's a hierarchy of response. And I think that's what I appreciate, Joel, is that you understand the, the, the micro battlefield versus the macro battlefield. And there's different chemicals involved depending upon what the level of abstraction is from the site of the, of the problem. So just something for people to be uh, reflecting. Yeah, through. it's great. It, it's so, so a lot was said there, Morley. And so ultimately the title of this podcast is been changed over the years from your adrenal fix to the truth about your health. And I think the truth about your health can no better be encapsulated by what we're talking about today. Um, ultimately, your protocol is the root cause protocol. The title of this series is the main cause of having no energy, all the same thing in terms of your cells aren't making energy effectively and for the mineral metabolism that's not being taught and the oxidative metabolism that's not being taught and basically how to make energy, how that's not all being taught. Uh, and ultimately, we have uh, the ability, the great news and how complex and sinister things are, there's a lot of easy solutions as well, as you can attest to and what you've seen with what you're doing on a, on a coaching level and on a, on a, on a organizational level and hopefully a world level as well, that there's a lot of things you could be doing and, and with the stop specifically are stop doing things that are draining your batteries or that are depleting the imbalances that aren't allowing your cells to breathe effectively. And some of them are sacred. Most of them are sacred cows and, and they've been engineered purposefully to be those things for very reasons we can get into on another conversation, but iron, vitamin D, multivitamins, um, zinc, uh, vitamin C, ascorbic, especially um, high corn for, uh, fructose, high fructose corn syrup, um, having high um, carbs, low fats, molybdenum citrates. These things are things that will low fluoride, will lower your ability to breathe at the cellular level more effectively. Um, one of the things that kind of what I really like about this is because I do get into like the, the weeds when I work one on one with my clients. And I feel like where I was focused on is a part of the solution of what you do with the root cause protocol. It was just deeper in the weeds and I wasn't using the, the right reference point. So I'll give you an example. This is how I got to where I got to. Okay. I'm burnt out, exhausted. I heard about this thing called adrenal fatigue for myself only to find out that it's not real and doctors don't believe in it and, and they marginalize you and they make you feel wrong. And just because you're coming with the wrong term, but it doesn't deny the fact that you're exhausted, you're tired, you're burnt out. And I then looked at the fact that it's an HPA axis dysfunction and it's the perfect storm of having the environmental triggers that really make some people with genetic susceptibilities more likely to have breakdown of their energy productive systems in certain expressions. So some people might be autoimmune, uh, neurological issues, joint issues, GI issues, depending on where those genetic susceptibilities are, whole other story, combined with the perfect storm of environmental triggers, create those 30,000 view foot symptoms 
knowing that it goes deeper than the adrenals, it goes into the HPA axis. So what I came up with is understanding the HPA axis, the H part, the hypothalamus gets stimulated by the nervous system peripherally and centrally. And it's quite amazing, the whole new field of neuro, immuno, um, endocrinology, and all of these inputs that go and stimulate the um, the HPA axis, but ultimately do it via mast cells, and, and then mast cells stimulate the HPA axis, um, and then also that releases histamine, which causes a cortisol release, and so forth and so on. Um, and then I got into the point of, well, anything that stimulates the mast cells is going to stimulate a really important enzyme called NADPH oxidase, and that NADPH oxidase will produce superoxides, hydrogen peroxides as a, as a consequence of that. All of that, if you're listening to it and you have no idea what I just said, that you don't have to worry because at the end of the day, the point of reference is wrong. The point of reference is you don't have enough bioavailable copper and your cells aren't breathing effectively. All the things I said just a couple moments ago are still true but it's a lot easier now for me to explain how to help people without having to get into the weeds like that because the point of reference is different. You just need to focus on preserving your ceruloplasm and your bioavailable copper and not depleting your magnesium and making sure that your iron is moving and your cells are breathing so that all those funky things I just said aren't happening, right? So that's kind of the genesis of, of where we are. And I think that's really good to segue for our next conversation into the starts because there's a lot of things that we could be doing from a point of view that can really assist all of this and then the nuances of what you said with the relationship of stress and hypoxic things um, the relationship of energy and frequencies and wavelengths um, how important that is um, anything else though you want to add to what i mentioned there morley yeah, just just real quick i think you brought up a very important nuance that needs to be underscored. <clears throat> we've been, again, we've been trained, we've been programmed to think that there's booga disease out there and it's really scary and we're, we're doing our best, our level best to take care of you, but there are just forces out there that are just so great, we, we, don't, we don't know what to do. We don't understand this or that. When in fact, if we're not making energy, the body falls apart. It's perfectly designed to fall apart. And again, 100 milligrams of copper goes a long way. And there's, a, I've, been, I've resisted the idea of making a product for over a decade. And I'm finally out of frustration when I, when I began to realize all of this research was hinging on this little pivotal mineral. I finally said, okay, maybe we need to make a product. And so we've got recuperate. You know, it's out there. And, and it's a play on words, recoup, get it, recuperate. And so people need to realize that, that it, it, it defies logic. It's like, wait, if it's this simple, why do we have these hundreds of thousands of doctors, whether they are Ayurvedic medicine or homeopathic or allopathic or chiropractic, or you name it. Why, why are they chasing all these symptoms when, in fact, if we could just get the cells to make energy, all these symptoms would go away? And it's, it, it's a fair question to ask. We've, we, have, we have 
so um, overblown the problem. This, this, this stress-induced inability to make energy has become systemic. And it's, and it's creating all sorts of, of problems. And now it's creating genetic problems. There, there's no gene disease. Again, it's, oh, the really enlightened ones. Oh yeah, it's epigenetics. So methylation is not working right. And, and so the methylation, the epigenetics is really running the genetics. No, what's running, what's running epigenetics? It's energetics. As soon as, as soon as the methylation pattern begins to get clogged with oxidative stress, it starts to create a different response. It's like, it's so basic. And again, understanding that oxygen <clears throat> is at the center, it really is at the center of this whole dynamic and getting people to appreciate there's only one element that works with oxygen. And you made a very important point about when you were talking about when we're not making the energy, we're going to make the exhaust, the oxid oxidative species, but there's a whole cascade of antioxidant enzymes, superoxide dismutase, catalase, glutathione peroxidase, paraoxidase, and others that are all copper dependent. Again, Mother Nature designed us to be able to deal with oxygen to create energy requires copper, to neutralize exhaust or to, to clear exhaust requires copper, combat the enemies, that requires copper too. And, and it's that elegant and it's that simple, but it's not taught, it's not the, not the focal point of doctor's training. Why? Because it kills the business model of medicine. And there really is a business model. And, and people need to appreciate. I think I think more people understand that as we're looking at the at the financial reports of certain uh, companies now, post um, psyops, we're beginning to see some big money has just been made in the last eighteen months. And so people need to really internalize what does that really mean. And it's it's as important to really, um, as, as I think I pointed pointed out in our first conversation, people need to be asking better questions. And people need to be demanding better answers. And this rote, if this, then that, that is kindergarten medicine. If, you're, if your practitioner is not putting your situation into a context of energy deficiency, then they don't really understand what's going on in your body. That's the most important function. That, that if, if, it, if the energy paradigm is not what's ruling the conversation with your practitioner, you better go find a better practitioner then. I, I, I think it's that simple. That, that does really sum it up. And, you know, as well, if we are not eating processed food and we're eating, I say, food that our, our grandmother or great-grandmother would recognize, I still believe that we've, we've sowed so much from the soils that we don't have as much minerals that you could really maintain at a level that you need to effectively. But that being said, unadulterated, really great nutrients that man didn't make in a lab, but we made from the earth that is complete with these as much as possible minerals and vitamins and 
fibers and all the things that we is a head start. Of course, removing refined sugars and processed foods is, is super key. I'll just say from a professional standpoint, I'll still play at the third and sixth uh, degree levels just because of the fact that I really like the idea of understanding where the um, weak links in the chain do break. Um, and then also understanding where the other inflammatory contributors are for making those oxidant radicals, especially for a lot of people that I work with. One of, we see a lot of commonalities where KEEP1 is an enzyme that when it releases, it signals the antioxidant response elements. A lot of people have major weaknesses in the, or it's actually an upregulation. So just typically what happens, I explain morally that genetics are kind of like, and I have to be careful who I talk to because my younger clients don't understand this. You remember those credit card processing machines where you would put the card in the machine and you would scan it over and a transparency would come out. When we have a polymorphism or a, a, I don't like the word mutation, but a you know, a alteration in the language, the card goes in sideways, you make the switch and that transparency comes out at less amounts than the times that you're doing them. That of course is an under-regulation or down-regulation or not producing as much, but there are up-regulations as well. Keep one is an up-regulation. And what we found is, is that my analogy in, in, the, in, the, in the explaining it is the pin in the grenade that you take out to detonate the grenade is stuck harder. It's upregulated in there. So you can't release it. And what that, when you release that pin, Nerf 2 then is like the sprinkler system in the another analogy in your waterways where it senses the fire and it releases the elements. It, it doesn't stop there though. It, it, Nerf 2 also helps to upregulate not just the signaling, but the production of the utilization of the recycling of and if that pin isn't coming out i tell people it's like you're oxidizing iron and you're sitting at the side of the fire with the the police to, or the the 911 not calling you um even when you get there you're you're not turning on the hose and, and that creates major 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 challenges um sure. and then what we what we find also is when that depletes um, a lot of the, the NADPH, it doesn't allow us to recycle those response elements as well. Um, so there's a lot of interesting, you know, ways where when you do play at that genetic level, you can see, hey, we have some challenges here, which would make copper unavailability that much more challenging for you. Or we see that also these other variables like calcium channels with EMFs are going to leak into the system more. And there is such a thing that you're not a weirdo and you need a tinfoil hat, but you are more sensitive to EMF. So it helps me at that level, but yet it makes it so much easier. Hey, Mrs. Jones, because I used to, I would go through the report. The important thing for you to know is, which I've always said, you, you are not making energy at the level you need to. And the book here kind of made it that much more ahaable for me to give it that much more digestible marching orders for them. And I thank you so much for not just my own personal practice and ability to help people at a higher level, but be able to have a tool for people to go to 
to be able to understand what we talked about today. So we'll keep it open for part two, uh, part three, if you're willing and able, I'd love to do that. Um, and I guess for the people that want a, a list of the, of the stops and starts, because you're so gracious and you have that available, where can they go and get that? Yeah, the, the website, uh, rcp123.org, rcp for root cause protocol, rcp123.org. Uh, you donate your email and we will send you the 50 page uh, manual, it's a handbook on the, the root cause protocol. And, and within that is a, um, a series of, of charts. There's a stops, the starts and a recommended daily regimen just to give people some, some basic information. And then, of course, um, people can also go and I'm mightily impressed with that copy of uh, Cure Your Fatigue. You're really going through that, aren't you? <laughs> oh, it, yeah, look at it. It, it. I'm proud to say, it, you know, and my dog hasn't even ate it. So that's yeah, no, me. No, it's like uh, my, my copy isn't even that gnarled yet, but but I appreciate your you're spending the time with it. But people can get that book uh, from Amazon or A Books or Barnes or whatever your favorite uh, online uh, purveyor is. You're not going to find it in the bookstores physically. It's just not yet. Give, give it a couple of years and I think we'll, we'll have it. Uh, and a few few more dozen conversations with Joel, we'll definitely get it there. But the there's also going to be an audio version in the spring. I'm going to be working on that. Very excited about that because a lot of people like to listen. They don't always have time to read. And then... Um, I think people are going to find that there's a lot of information. They can join the, there's an RCP community. And then for the really, uh, the real diehards can always take the RCP Institute training. That's a 16 week program that uh, is, is developed over the last four years. We're, we're starting group uh, 15 in February of this year. And I think people uh, will find that their questions will get answered in that training. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, it's, it's really beginning to blossom. Uh, typically we'd have like 30 to 50 uh, people. Last class 14 was 99 people. And we're kind of preparing ourselves for about 150 to 175 in group 15. And that's really where we need to be. I've, I've committed myself to training 10,000 practitioners. Uh, we're at about 500. So I've got, I've got a little, of a, little bit of a delta to, to squeeze down, but. Uh, I think we're going to get there because I'm, I'm not going to kick the bucket anytime soon, at least not that I'm aware of. And uh, I've never had so much fun, but I've never worked so hard in my life. But uh, I think there's always um, new information that's going to come forward. But what I really appreciate about these conversations is the, the dot connecting. I think you really have a gift for helping people go, oh, wait a minute. So then that connects to this, connects to this. Oh, now it's, this is where the, the real magic is in this back and forth is to begin to take these concepts that are in the book and then apply it into your clinical practice where people can really say, oh, now I see what the connections are. It's a very important um, download of information for, for the masses. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I appreciate everything that you do. And I always say like success leaves clues. And even if people don't want to donate their email, that you even have the stops and starts on the website anyways, I guess you just have. So, so I look forward to part three. 
um, and, and wish you and your, your loved ones a, a happy, healthy uh, holiday season and new year. And then um, I look forward to reconvene and, and go down maybe even a little further down that hole. So um, until then, Morley, um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning into today's Truth About Your Health podcast, where our mission is to expose the truth about adrenal fatigue to burnt out men and women so that we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. If you've liked what you've heard today and you're interested to see if this is a good fit for you to work with our Truth About Adrenal Fatigue recovery program, here's what to do next. Head on over to the truthaboutadrenalfatigue.com, all one word, forward slash podcast, forward slash booking. Again, the truthaboutadrenalfatigue.com, forward slash podcast, forward slash booking, and book an appointment to speak to one of our team members. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get crystal clear on three things. Number one, Where exactly are you right now with your health? What's working? Troubleshoot everything that you're doing or not doing. And most importantly, figure out what's being missed and how much it's impacting you. On the flip side, we'll then tell you what would your health be like if it was solved and what would you be doing differently and what would that look like? So that by the end of the call, we will tell you everything that we think you need to do to bridge that gap and do it quickly. If we feel like you're a good fit for what we do, we'll tell you exactly how that will work. But there's no obligation to have to do any further work together. That way, no matter what happens, the call is going to give you tremendous value, hope, and direction. Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. And our mission is to empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized, as we've been helping coaching clients all over the world be able to transform their lives. Isn't it time for you to transform yours? Head on over to the truthaboutadrenalfatigue.com forward slash podcast forward slash booking and book your discovery call today.